Hello, welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week, the t-shirt line becomes all important in helping to decide the fate of the League Cup and perhaps the Premier League title too. We'll get into why and how that happened. We'll also get into what referees in MLS will be clamping down on this season. Some new guidance there. I'm Mike McCarthy, broadcaster and football journalist. With me, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. Great to be with you again, Keith. Delighted to be home, Mike. Before we get into the weekend's action, though, Keith, big news today as we record FIFA and UEFA banning Russia's international and club sides from international competition. It follows Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, there was a statement on Sunday which suggested Mm. that Russia could continue as the uh, quote-unquote football union of Russia at neutral venues uh, and behind closed doors, no anthems, no flags. Uh, that quickly changed, obviously, as we now know today, uh, not least because it was clear many teams announced they wouldn't play. It wasn't clear which countries would agree to be neutral venues for Russia's matches. Uh, and something else that occurred to me, Keith, who would have agreed to referee their games as well? Yeah, good point. I think that um, I'm delighted that FIFA and UEFA agreed today to take a strong line and say, you're out of the competition, effectively. Um you know, you look at the news and you look at people having to, you know, older people as well as youngsters having to split families and go through hell, really, uh, and the threats that exist, leaving their husbands behind to fight a war. I thought we were over those sort of nasty parts of life. Uh, I think life's more difficult now with global warming, COVID. I think this is the last thing we want. And... Uh, Hopefully, at some stage, sense will come in uh, and reign. I must yeah. say that I've been remarkably impressed with uh, the president of Ukraine and his, his, his youthful sort of looks and approach in terms of his own inner strength. That must be fantastic. And, of course, the Klitschko brothers, who we, we recognise as not only as iconic sportsmen around the world, but also play a a major part in politics, the mayor of Kiev um, playing his part. So I think that I was a little bit disappointed, to be honest, and I I tweeted straight away when I heard FIFA saying, well, they can play under another banner. As for referees um, in that situation, and I was thrown into the dilemma of would I referee Gdansk versus Juventus when... The, the, you know the shipyard uh, shipyard uh, protests and solidarity was in uh, in sort of progress, and I agreed to go and referee that football match because I think it was the right thing to do. I think it's up to the individual, but at the moment, my view is very strongly that we've got to show uh, Russia that this is out of order what they're doing. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Keith. Just on on that match, were you lobbied about that? Were people talking to you about whether you should do it or whether you shouldn't and and how did you did you weigh up those things um i think it was uh, obviously very unusual because british journalists media and even i think the uh, embassies had, had been effectively closed russia were very threatening to jerozelski the president saying if you don't sort it we're going to come in um I sat there, I obviously talked with the family and said, right, I'm, I'm going to go. Um, and I went with two colleagues. Uh, they tried to put us up in Warsaw, the, the 
the day before the game, I had to then intervene and say, look, the regulations of UEFA are that you are in the city 24 hours before kickoff, the match officials and the teams, and therefore that must be the case. We took a flight from Warsaw to Gdansk that was unbelievable. Uh, the plane was an antique. Um, it was flying at 3,000 feet. It, you know, we, Oh, my goodness. It had no radar. And when I asked why it was so low, it, the guy just came back and said in, in reasonably good English, because the road was showing him the way. I mean, I just couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, the game itself, I mean, we, we had the stoppage in the game where the ball went out of play. I met Let Valance uh, the morning of the match. He became obviously the president. Um, and during the course of the match, the ball went out of play. And uh, then the, there was a stoppage. Uh, as the spectators were shouting solidarity and pointing in the direction of Lech Walensa. Mm. Um, I was, you know, there was plenty of security around. We were safe, relatively. Uh, Russians were at the airport. There was this threat, they're going to invade. I can tell you that they were camped out at the airport, which was a bit of a shock when I got there. But these things are rare. And I think this occurrence of uh, the Russian president at this moment in time, I think seems to be out of kilter that the world has changed, that Russians are modern. The last time I was in Moscow, I was amazed. I'd been there in the early 80s and Red Square and pretty grey and, and dim. Uh, security was all around. When I went again uh, in the 90s, I was surprised how modern it was, how branded shops were available how the Russians have become very westernized. So I'm hoping that people with inside Russia will object. And I think that's already beginning to happen. Yeah. And if you uh, are by any chance listening in Ukraine, we hope you're safe. We hope everyone yeah. you know is safe and we hope there is an end to this as mm. quickly as possible. Mm. Um, we are now going to talk about the the most important of the least important things, uh, Keith, yes. which is the weekend's football. Um, let's let's start then with uh, the T-shirt line and what happened on Saturday night at Goodison Park. Uh, Rodri with a handball, at least that's what it looked like to most observers. Um, the referee didn't see it. VAR took a look but decided no penalty. Um by now, most people have seen the footage. If you haven't, there'll be a link in the show notes. How on earth did they reach this decision, Keith? Because it, it seems unfathomable, which is the word that Frank Lampard used, and I think I can't think of a better one. Yeah. Uh, let's first of all clarify, because people are referring to the T-shirt, and, and there's this view that the sleeve is actually the the area that if it hits the shirt or the sleeve, it's, it's not, you mm. know, it's in the area of okay. The reality is it's a line that is in line with the underside of the armpit. And so that's some way up the arm. If we just do a feel ourselves, it's, it's quite a way up. And in fact, it's almost saying the shoulder, isn't it, is, is the area that uh, can affect play. So we had, a, we had two instances over the weekend where we saw an offside decision given where it looked as though it was the outer arm that can't score that was given offside rather than the shoulder, but that's another point. This was a dreadful error. Uh, this was just a poor judgment by the by the, the VAR. I think the referee who was having a terrific match uh, was was just hopelessly let down by a VAR. And I've tried to look at it, and you know, 
ultimately, at the end of the day, we search for the truth. I've always said it as it is. Sometimes that gets me into trouble. But here, I think the game suffered. This was a major sort of loss of points for Everton under the new manager of, of Frank Lampard. Um, and I, I've looked and said, how can you make that level of error? Because this is what VAR is for. VAR is for actually making the decision. So there's two things. I had an exchange of emails from Howard Webb. I was sending him my best wishes for the start of the MLS season. And uh, he made an observation which I thought was really good. Uh, and that is that I didn't realise that on the MLS, um, on almost the majority of decisions, if not all of them, the referee goes to the monitor. So this this actually says VAR, you've got to be really clear and obvious error. And, mm. and then if it's in doubt, the, the referee comes across and views it. And the referee makes the decision. So the ownership is, is with the referee. And of course, out of that comes the fact that Sometimes the referee makes a call, the VAR inter- interrupts, and the referee says, get lost. I'm staying with the decision I've seen on the field. I've got the feel of the match, the feel of, of what's happening, and so I'm staying. And I thought that was basically spot on. Now we get back to the English game, and we look at Chris Cavanagh, who's an international referee. And so you say, well, just a minute. This is a basic refereeing error. Um, and he's got the opportunity of stopping the, the film and video anytime he wants. And then I look and think, well, what was he doing in the middle of the week? Because I, I, I want to, you know, examine it as I used to examine it as the boss of the PGMOL. And amazingly, on Thursday night, um, Chris Cavana, the referee, was in Prague. He was refereeing a European, a Europa Conference League game. That's, that's a late end to that day. Mm. And then on Friday, he's got not only to complete his reports and various other things, he's then got to travel home. So does he, on a Friday, come fly with his colleagues into Heathrow and then out to Stockley Park? Or did he actually come into Heathrow and then Manchester and home? And then on, on the following day, fly down to Stockley Park. Look, I've been on overseas trips, many of them, and it takes you a couple of three days to recover. And recovery is the key here. So for me, I think there's a lack of, of, of total clear concentration, maybe just a waiver. Ultimately, at the end of the day, he got the decision wrong. And of course, he was scheduled to do the, another game the following day. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm. What I'm interested in here, Keith, is this uh, Thursday night to Saturday night VAR, having done a European game. Um, and some of our listeners may be uh, familiar with the concept of decision fatigue, i.e., there's the idea is there is only. I mean, I'm. I'm vastly simplifying this but there are only so many decisions your brain is capable of making in a certain amount of time and after a while you start to make mistakes 
Um, and so one of the strategies that football teams will have is to give their players fewer decisions to make during the day before games, for example. Correct. You all wear the same stuff every time, so you don't have to think about what you're wearing. You all go to the same place and meet up, so you don't have to drive yourself and make decisions while you're driving. You, you, know, you all do these things together to make sure that essentially players are limited to thinking about what is going to happen in a game. And referees do the same too. They all arrive together now, you know, at the same time, a hotel before the match. and that's Yeah, but let me just clarify that, Mike, because there's a general view that they think that they're chauffeured here, there and everywhere. They're not. What happens is that individual referee or assistant referee drives from home, he's packed his kit, he's got to ensure that he's got everything in the kit. Is he going to get some food on the way? Because this is this element to it. You know? Absolutely, and and so you know, basically, what what people think is is late in games, late in the first half, late in the second half. This is when goals are scored. This is where players start to make errors. I mean, do you? I don't know if you ever saw statistics that looked at refereeing in that context, and do we see more refereeing errors in the last fifteen minutes of each half, for example? Do, do we know yeah. if that's the case? Because this was well, the eighty fifth minute of a game. I think that the, you you actually get. Um... With player fatigue, you get an increased number of yellow cards. So you can actually split, almost identify what periods in the game yellow cards come. And you can link that with the referee because those are statistics that I I always had because there was one referee who who did have um, a concentration deficit. Uh, What what was happening was that his, his performance for 70, 75 minutes was terrific. Um, and and then we actually started looking at his blood sugars, various sort of things, because from 75 to 90, uh, we thought this might be physical. It might be fatiguing physically. But in fact, what it was, was this referee, you know, through sports psychology and, and measurement, we could say that he was, he was losing concentration um, generated by, the, by an overconfidence. I've got this game, 75 minutes. I'm happy. I've got it. And then he drifts. And so what the uh, sports psychologist did was, because we worked very closely with the sports psychologist, he gave this particular referee a rubber band. And at 75 minutes, one of the assistant referees would say to him, snap the band, and and he'd do that. And it was an action that reinvigorated. It was an action that suddenly said, look, wake up. Uh, and it's, it's almost—I don't know—it's like, almost like putting your head in a in a bucket of cold water. It's not Whatever the same, works. but it, you, you're trying to achieve that wake-up call that says, "Look, this is the time." That's—I mean—that that, that's fascinating. And and look, I mean, clearly, this is a decision that, as you mentioned, has affected Everton and their pursuit yeah. of points in the bottom. But also, this is going to have a, a big say in the title race as well. Everton, in particular, though, have actually complained to the Premier League about this decision and others that they're not happy with over the last few weeks. Um, Keith, as a former head of the PGMOL, you, you probably have read similar letters in your time. Um, what sort of response would you have given and what sort of response are Everton likely to get? I think as a boss, I tried to stop it before it happened. Um, obviously, uh, with all the games televised, Mike, you can watch the games as I used to. Um, and uh, you get a feel. And if you see something that's as bad as that, to be honest with you, I'd, I'd be on the phone and say, I'm coming to see you. 
You know, I can, I can remember, I think may have used this example before. I can remember at Bramall Lane, Rob Styles was the referee. They were playing Liverpool and uh, at a corner kick, uh, there was some pushing and shoving in the penalty area and uh, Rob intervened. And um, Benitez at the end of the game, unusual for him, was very, very critical. He was unhappy. He, could, he, he wanted a penalty kick. And I picked the phone up on the Monday morning and instead of driving to London to my office, I, I drove across to uh, to Liverpool and met uh, uh, Benitez, who, 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 who treated me very, very civilly. And we had, the, we had the TV, we had the monitor, we had the incident. And I said, right, just, I wasn't being clever, just explain to me what your thinking is and why such a complaint. And you could see very clearly the, the, the pulling and tugging inside the penalty area. And he wanted a penalty kick. And I said, the law doesn't allow that. Mm. This is pulling and this is pushing. It doesn't allow for a penalty kick. Why? And I said, well, look at the corner. The ball's still in play, not in play. It hasn't yeah. been kicked. Therefore, the law doesn't allow the referee to award a penalty kick because it's effectively not in play. And I felt that that wasn't me being clever. That was clarifying a situation. And I think there's, you know, look, some Premier League spokesman, some idiot, representing the greatest league in the world that I support fully. I used to be their Premier League referee ambassador. I was very proud of that title. I was the first. It appears the only one at the time. But... Some spokesman came out and justified that decision that was accurate and it was a correct call. It wasn't a clear and obvious error. And I'm going, it was a clear and obvious error. Yeah. Let's get to the truth by saying that we are, as referees, human beings. We do make mistakes, just like players. And what we have to do is get to the truth. Once we get to the truth of something, then we can perhaps rectify it in the future and that spokesperson did the game a disservice and did the Premier League a huge disservice I was pleased today because someone uh, emailed me to say that he'd, he'd listened to Dermot Gallagher on Sky who, yeah and he, and he called it out he said it should have yes. been a penalty and, and, and it was, and, it and was and the wrong and, call and great credit to him but, but I think the manager we're not transparent. We're not transparent enough. I think that, you know, when I when I watch Match of the Day, I love watching that programme. And I listen to someone who I admire, Alan Shearer, who's, who's not a politician. He's a straightforward, loving play, player in terms of the game. Great record, top scorer. And he's saying referees in a mess. He's literally saying that. Then somebody's got to listen, Mike. Somebody's got to have, you know... Uh, Arteta at Arsenal saying he wants a meeting with with the PGMOL. Frank Lampard, he's, he's not a guy that rants and raves. He's a yeah. deep thinker of the game. Great respect to him. These are guys who come into the job and see it, and you go, something's got to be done. And the only way that they're going to get that done is, is for an open conversation. You know, I, I see Howard Webb in America doing it. And coming out with things and being proactive, I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. 
Well, we'll come on to what's going on in MLS this yeah. season as well in a little bit. Just want to concentrate on the League Cup final, though, yes. uh, for a few moments. Um, again, the T-shirt line uh, as well. And again, I'm using the air quotes here, Keith, in terms yeah. of that uh, being crucial in an offside decision, which was, uh, by the strict interpretation of the offside law, correct, uh, yeah. but nevertheless extremely marginal. Well, um, it, I mean, when you, when you saw that, what did you think? I think this game of football at the moment, I think the offside law needs amending. I, th- I think this game of football is, in fact, penalising itself. I think, you know, Lukaku picks the ball up, he's, he's, he's fractions offside, and he's fractions. And he then goes on a run, rounds his opponent and scores a beautiful goal. And some idiot that's written the laws of the game way back, or in recent uh, years, has chalked that one off. I, I don't think anybody in football coolly would want a goal of that quality to be chalked off. So for me, I think the law, I've been saying it now for a couple of three years, the law needs a rewrite. Um, You know, I think it's too tight. I I listened to another great player that we've got in in the Premier League, Virgil van Dijk, talking about the delayed flag. And I agree with him. I've talked about this before. I don't like the delayed flag. Mm. We saw some good offside decisions. That, you know, the flags went up on these decisions. Well, yeah, I mean, this, they were all spot on yes. in, 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 the, in the strict uh, interpretation of the law, but absolutely. I get exactly I, what you're saying. Kim, and I want to emphasise that point the, because they were, and yeah. they could have given those early on. You know, mm. so, you know, we have the best assistant referees in the world operating in the Premier League. We might not think that. The assistant referees are terrific. I just think that what we're asking them to do is, I just, I couldn't think of being in that position. You know, I've been, I've run the line on the Football League um, and it was a difficult job and these guys are brilliant at it. And, you know, over the years we've had, we've had people like Glenn Turner, you know, Babski, Darren Kelly, who's currently still on, Mike Malarkey, who runs the assistant referees. We've got this, Philip Sharp, we've had a history of top-class assistant referees. We've got some real quality now, but they're not being allowed to do the job. And and they're made to look a bit clownish and silly because of this delayed flag procedure, which must be a nightmare to operate. There was a bit of a delay while VAR had a quick look at uh, Naby Keita's challenge as well in that League Cup final, which um, was high on the inside of the thigh of his opponent. Um, This is one of those challenges where two players arrive, both with feet slightly raised, but one gets there first and uh, then the other collides, essentially. Was that a red card for you, Keith? I think um, it was red. There's no doubt in my mind that he endangered the safety of an opponent. They were both moving at pace, so I don't have a trouble there. And I believe that the other guy would have also got a yellow card for being reckless because mm. he was he came in high. So I, I out of that situation, I would have given a red and a yellow. Easy. I'm an armchair referee. Yeah. I've had another look. Uh, by the way, I think Stuart Atwell had a terrific match. I think he, I think this was the making of Stuart Atwell as a referee, not for this particular incident, because to be honest with you, although he was, I think, close on, these, these are, these are, this is why VAR was introduced, you know? And this is where 
I don't want the VAR involved. I want the VAR to come in and say, Stuart, have another look. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, know just exactly have what another you're look. Saying. Now, if Stuart Atwell had had a look, the game stopped, Stuart Atwell has a look, and he comes away and says, you know, given the game I'm refereeing, given what I'm seeing, I'm allowing a lot of play to go on. Uh, I'm not overreacting to players going down. I'm not stopping the game. I'm just keeping the flow. If he then says to me, from where I'm at and what I've seen, I'm good. I'm not going to issue a red card. As an assessor, I would say fine. I'll accept it. But as an assessor team. sitting there and yeah. and and the guy in the studio is saying, or at Stocky Park is saying, it's not a red card. Then I think he's wrong. Theoretically, Keith, and and this occurred to me after watching that challenge. Um, is it possible for both players? In a not in this incident, but in a incident, if they both go in recklessly or endanger the safety of the of the opponent, can they both be red carded for the challenge? Absolutely. Just, two uh, two seems, wrongs, two yeah. wrongs, Mike, don't make a right. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. So I'm just struggling to think of an example in my head. Although perhaps there's plenty of examples on Sunday mornings in the park. I don't know. Well, I'm sure. I, although I saw one from Scotland grassroots football this weekend, Mike, that really shocked me, and that was the referee coming off the pitch to argue with a with a spectator, and then and literally give him an you know a note. He just edited. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was. Wow, I, I was just absolutely gobsmacked when I saw that. Goodness me. Uh, well, um, I'll tell you what, if you've ever given two reds in the same incident for a uh, uh, endangering the safety of the opponent on both sides of the challenge, then I'd love to hear from you. Hello yeah. at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can do that. Now, uh, MLS, a new season upon us. And I wanted to get into uh, something that's uh, doing, doing the rounds, and you, you brought this to our attention as well, Keith. Points of emphasis that MLS yes. referees are going to be focusing on this season. There are four, and we'll, we'll get into them in a bit more detail. But just to start with, delaying restarts is a focus, stopping promising attacks, persistent offences, and that comes into a few things here, and also surrounding the officials and dissent is something that referees are expected to clamp down on. What do you make of this list? I think uh, I'd like to see this list replicated in the English game, Mike. Um, the The one thing we have here is, I think traditionally within American sports, there's this great line of communication, openness, transparency, um, the MLS itself is growing as a competition with with Dan Gerber, uh, the man in charge, and and I think he takes a like Richard Scudamore did, takes great care of the image of the game, the image of his competition, which is so important. So each season they look at trends in the game. That there's you know there's various people within the MLS that's on the playing side and refereeing side and, and management, et cetera, that, that actually come together and say, these are the areas that, that we want to focus on. But it's led by, of course, in, in, uh, in America, Howard Webb and his team, because he has got a team of, and, and a good team. He's got Greg Barkey who operates uh, uh, VAR, uh, terrific. And he's got also uh, another referee, a former inter- uh, World Cup referee, on his, on his small team. What they do is they come up with, with an agreement between the league, the referees, the assessors, because they still have assessors, um, and 
this formula then says these are the things that are troubling us and trends in the game that we want to readjust. And then what happens is it's all communicated openly. Everybody knows, the clubs know, the managers, the owners, uh, even fans and spectators are aware. And it's always, over recent years, come under the points of emphasis. So when we look at delaying restarts, I think the average Premier League game in England is about 54 to 57 minutes. It's in that range of playing time, actual playing time. And that feels like it's gone down because I remember seeing Sky graphics in the 90s with it being more sort of 62, 63, unless that's my memory playing tricks on me, Keith. No, it's going down. I think the trend is going down. Um, you know, I, I I got a bit of a beating this weekend from one or two two fans because I'd, I'd pointed out that Southampton had this uh, range of stoppages around about 60 minutes. In came the barrage of fans saying, well, our team does exactly the same. It frustrates us. Uh, and there's been one or two teams that have done that this, this weekend. So that sort of highlights. So I think the MLS is saying, look, we want, we want the game to flow. We're in competition. We're in competition with NBA, with basketball and various other whatever sports they play in America. Um, and I think they're right. I think, first of all, how can they stop uh, the delay? I think that's through management, you know. Tell the guy you want to throw in and where you want it taken. Don't allow him to drift and then say, come back and then try and manage it. So be proactive. Tell them where you want the ball at free kicks. Get the wall back and make it clear that if they actually encroach, you're going to caution them for encroachment. So this is just about management and, and general proactive tidiness to ensure that restarts are are not abused, if if that's the right word. Um, so the points of emphasis are that will be that if a, if a player effectively delays the restart, the referee will caution. So here's a warning. This is what we're going to do, and we will do it. And the points of emphasis in the MLS don't last for six weeks as they do in England. I was they, just about to make that point. Yeah. Wrong, is, is this going to last for season. three weeks? And yeah, it's we a don't. drift. Yeah. You know? um, and within that, I, I hope that within that, this growing trend of goalkeepers holding onto the ball for about 20 seconds when the law allows them only six and referees ignore it. And everybody thinks I'm being petty. But those laws came in to actually ensure that the, the public get as much playing time and enjoyment out of a game rather than the goalkeeper saying, I'm going to hold on to it. Well, I was just thinking if there was any league that would experiment with, uh, you know, something like a, a shot clock, but, you know, for, for goalkeepers holding on to the ball or for free kicks being retaken or the ball uh, a throwing being taken quickly enough, it would be MLS. It would be yes. the sort of league where I would expect, you know, that to be tried. Well, I think... I'd, I'd like to see what, what would happen if they did. Well, you've heard me. You've heard me talk about an independent timekeeper, which would, in delaying restarts, would ensure the right amount of time. This is where I, I, I was so shocked when I joined the North North American Soccer League because they did have an independent timekeeper, and that was taken away from me. Yeah. And I must admit, at times, I thought I was fatiguing a bit. Uh, and thought it was like the the warm weather and all that goes with it in the states, but in effect. Uh, I was getting more playing time, and you could you could see that um, yeah. from the stats they got. So delaying restarts, stopping think, promising attacks. 
Uh, yeah. It, yeah. Well, should we have a quick look at that? Because I mean, that yeah. seems to me, um, again, I think it's something we've discussed on this uh, show before about, you know, often we'll see cynical challenges that <clears> get a yellow card uh, and whether anything more can be done to prevent that. And this seems to be a bit of a, an emphasis on that situation. Yeah, I think that um, there's no doubts that those pullbacks uh, on an attacking player, the trip on an attacking player, um, and even the blocking that we get. I mean, even this weekend, I saw two or three incidents where the player just stepped across the the forward and stopped play. Um, Yeah, so stopping a promising attack is, is in fact, unsporting behaviour and and punished with a yellow card. And And... we see it in the English game, and they're saying, "Look, um, we want we want open play. This is all aimed at having an open game. Um, that is that is fair, rather than um, you know, let's come and stop everything." I think they're more alive to the fact that some teams are in fact going to the grounds and saying, "Right, okay, if we get a draw here, guys, we're okay. So do everything, just delay it all." Don't make it as obvious, but delay it. Take time on set pieces. Hold on to the thing so the referee comes in at corner kicks. I think I think this is, a, again, I've raised this um, here. This is about the referee also managing your time as well. Because yeah. he interferes with time too often. You know, I want to rattle. I want to show how strong I am. I'm going to stop the game. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk. And I'm going to talk again. You're talking too much, mate, because you're spoiling my entertainment. Don't don't waste your breath. Yeah. The, the, the you know the quiet word, the public, and then off you go. So I think that's a great, uh, a great. The um, persistent offences uh, emphasis as well is interesting because there seems to be an equal amount of emphasis. Well, I've got to think of a different word here. Of 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 uh, focus. Um, on not just one player committing several fouls, but several players committing fouls on one opposition player as well, which is something we perhaps don't focus on as much. No, I think that this is this is one where, first of all, from a refereeing point of view, um, one of the reasons early on that I asked for the numbers and pleaded with the Premier League to put numbers on the front of the shorts of players was because uh, the psychologists were saying to us, a referee can recognise numbers easier and retain the, the information than, than facial uh, people, unless you're David Beckham or, or, or Paul Scholes or, or whatever. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, numbers are, are better. So, and persistently infringing is, can be a difficult one because it ebbs and flows. Like two or three in the first half, then somebody else starts doing two or three and it goes around the team uh, so that you never nail anybody. And I've been in that position, like most referees, and we're thinking, well, you know, three, three's too many. Uh, And the assessors have come in and said, Keith, I think number four did about seven or eight. And I've gone, it didn't seem like that. And then I've looked at the video afterwards and the assessors got it right on. So assessors... And we don't have assessors in the Premier League, but assessors are quite good at this because they'll indicate a foul and the number on when they're sat there making their records. 
And, it, and it's a great analysis that they give us because they say, well, look, here's this player committing loads of fouls. And sometimes that's because, you know, either they're lazy as players or they've been coached to, to do that. So I'm, I think that's right. I, I think with the communication kits uh, and the fourth official, there's a great opportunity here to say number four, it's number four again, it's number four. And, and he's keeping a, a numbers record yeah. uh, at, at the side of the line. So I think you can use your, your, your guys to do that. And I've no doubt in America that, that they will. But you're quite right. Um, it, it, it's one of these, uh, what is a, um, a technical offence and what is a tactical offence? Mm. And it's, and it's for, for referees to understand when the tactical fouls are coming and to nail somebody. Do you, and is that the approach? You just have to make an example of somebody. I guess it feels like there's not an awful lot else you can do if you've got, say, one talented, extremely talented, let's say it's Leo Messi for the sake of argument, on yeah. one team, and then seven or eight players who are all intent on one or two niggly fouls, but overall that adds up to a significant loss to the game. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of this is... I think is on persistent is promoting an alertness of the referee to recognize he's a job to do. So the referee's got to come in early and recognize it and then deal with it. Quiet word, public, and then take action. Uh, dissent and surrounding officials as well is the last one on this uh, list, uh, Keith, which again is something that's come up on this program a fair few times, but It'd be interesting to see how this is enforced and and how MLS go about it this season. Yeah, I think we, I think people should take a look at it. I certainly will. Um, I think that what worries me is that when VAR was introduced, the authorities made it quite clear they they'd done their own work and they said, right, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to have players surrounding the referees. So if they go anywhere near the technical area to look at the monitor, they're going to get caution and if they surround the referee you're going to get caution what the referees do nothing because they think that they're between the devil and the deep blue sea they want to be mr nice guy look ultimately at the end of the day there are some really good policemen and there's some policemen who we, we we disagree with and interestingly it's the ones who tell us they're speeding and give us a ticket that we disagree with when he's doing <laughs> his job and so for me i think look we're not in the stakes here of 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 winning friends, we're in the stakes here of actually applying the laws of the game with common sense and with decency. But I see sometimes weak refereeing. You know, I, I go back to the days, you know, of Clive Thomas, Harold Acne, Jack Taylor. Jack Taylor was quiet, did it, but he was as strong as every, as anyone. George Courtney, strong referee in my era. So I, th- I think that, uh, you know, Ultimately, at the end of the day, it, they can do something about it. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see how this uh, folds out. And if you are uh, listening in the States and a regular watcher of MLS, do let us know how this impacts things over the coming weeks and what differences you think there have been and what differences does make. Also, I'd love, and, and Keith mentioned this just before we uh, just started recording, we'd love to hear 
what you think the Premier League could learn from the way that MLS handles things, particularly with VAR and, and other issues within refereeing. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address to get in touch with the show. You can also find us on Twitter. Um, Keith, as we look forward to the FA Cup fifth round in, in midweek, uh, hopefully lots more drama, hopefully none of it created by referees. And um, yeah, yeah let's, uh, let's see where we go this week. Great competition. Love the fifth round. Um, invariably, it's the area when the, the FA are actually looking for who's going to referee the FA Cup final itself. So there are some referees now obviously thinking it's their year uh, and there might be one or two shocks on the way. But, uh, but in fairness, for the first cup competition, I think Atwell did uh, quite well and did, did referees a bit of good this weekend, despite the, the fact that, for me, I think Keita should have gone. But there are many other referees who disagree with me. But that's refereeing, Mike. You know, we have a view. We express ours on this show. That's why I think that we'd like more referees to actually come in, uh, offer their views. Um, We might not always agree with them, but sometimes they come up with a great idea and we'll, we'll take that on board. Keith, as always, an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, Seen them given uh, the podcast available every, well, hopefully Monday or Tuesday, whenever you get your podcasts. Uh, recording schedules uh, for when the rest of uh, my freelance life allows uh, this show to go on air. But thank you, as always, for listening right through to the end. If you do like the podcast, leave us a rating or a review wherever you get yours, and it'll help other people discover the show. And as I say, the email address to get in touch, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk. We will see you next time.